This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 14th, 2019. And uh, we want to welcome everybody, everybody, everybody in the chat, everybody who has turned in to uh, visit with our awesome and August guest today. But before we do that, Dorno, how was your week? Hey, man. Week was good. Uh, one more week of vacation for me, just hanging out at the house, relaxing. Uh, almost, almost burned out on World of Warcraft. I, I did not think that was possible. It happened once before. It'll happen again. Huh. I, I'm actually I'm actually gonna have to restructure my worldview now. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm not burned out yet. I, I'm, I'm not burned out yet. Are you still playing retail? <laughs> no, I'm playing classic. Oh yeah, that's that's what brought me back. I'll be back probably for another Spe couple of weeks. Speaking of which I need to hop into queue. Oh, oh, do you have a queue? I, my server's been no queue. I've, I've been able to yeah. play anytime I want. Well, my friends were on Herod. We're like, we're going to do Herod. It's going to be the new Malganus because I played on Malganus back in the day. We need to cut this discussion off right now. Otherwise, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to repeat podcast. Right, we, we, last week. And uh, I remember people being upset about that last up, week. So. Who's upset about that? World of Warcraft. All of... Uh, they, they're all, pro they're probably horde players. All of the people who <laughs> were there to listen to our guests talk about guest stuff last week. Who was our guest last week? Who was our guest last week? JDA was that John Delarose last week? Brian Niemeyer. Brian, oh yeah, all okay. of his all of his people, all his posse. They were mad. They just they just wanted to, really were they? I didn't notice that in chat. Well, too bad. You know they're gonna have to deal with some video game talk. So my week. How was your week? Uh, apparently, I have been learning to train to be a ninja. Um, I got I received an abdominal injury. Um, an abdominal injury that uh, apparently is so bad that the surgeon I first got referred to said, no, -uh, I'm not doing that and referred me to a different surgeon. Yeah. So, that's that, bad news, man. That's how awesome it is. Is uh is he referred me to a different surgeon, so I had to even postpone the postpone the consultation for another uh three weeks. So one of the restrictions, the primary restriction is I can't pick up, I can't lean over. I can't lean over and pick anything up or do anything else you're supposed to be able to do when you're leaning over. And you would be astounded how, what percentage of your life is tied up in, in, in leaning over. Leaning over forms an astounding amount of your life. Do, do you know what putting your pants on is primarily? Leaning the hell over. Wow. <laughs> you want to go to the bathroom and you lift up the lid on the toilet? You have to lean over. Oh, wow. You go to do laundry, leaning over. Putting clothes in the dryer, leaning over. So did you get one of those those pack, those pack package grabber things like they use on tall shelves at the supermarket? So you just pick things up that are on the ground? 
I've I've thought about it, but I, I've not I haven't done it yet. Um, so anyway, the other thing is, I have to get off my bed, and that involves the same thing as leaning over. Only you're doing it off your bed, and I can't do it normally without causing more internal damage. Um, and so I'm lying in bed, head to the wall. And I have to get off the bed. So I have to lift my shoulders, put my arm against the wall, and muscle myself using just my arm and inch along, inch along until I can start to inch off. And then when I'm straight off the bed, I have to shimmy. And this is the best part. This is absolutely legendary. Once my bottom is far enough off the bed, I have to tuck one knee down, and roll. <laughs> I have to roll like I was in Starsky and Hutch. That's amazing. Like that roll behind cover or whatever. And then stand up so that my arm is on my desk and a hand is on a chair. So this isn't just roll wherever you like roll. Because if I roll bad... I'll tear open the insides again. Yeah, don't do that. I have to do precision rolling to hit an exact target and then stand up. This this sounds like a great... I mean, I'm sorry to hear about the injury, but this is your great new training regimen. It, it is astounding how much exercise I'm getting not picking things up. Because I was under the impression that weightlifting involved a significant amount of picking things up. But apparently, being completely restricted from picking things up is actually a lot of exercise in and of itself. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> no idea. Yeah, when I, uh, you know, I like carry my daughter around. You like in a, I have a baby carrier. You can't bend over or the, like the baby will... Bye-bye, baby, right? <laughs> so everything is, like, going vertical all the time to, like, so you're like doing lunges and squats all day long. Man, this is tiring. People pay hundreds of dollars a month to go to a gym and do that. <laughs> so they do. I don't pay hundreds of dollars. <laughs> we've got a guest today, David V. Stewart, uh, who uh, is a writer and a, a professional writer, professional guard uh, a guitar player, and uh, I, I get to do his introduction since uh, I called dibs, and he is also a fraud. Oh no, that's a harsh language. Complete and total fraud, because I know him originally from Twitter, which is ironic because he hasn't been on Twitter that very long. But if you go and look at his picture on Twitter, he's got hair cut like right above shoulder length, right? Like just off his shoulder so it doesn't touch. He looks like the kind of guy who lives near the beach and goes walking in those loose white shirts and tan shorts with those shirts that are like 
the brown, I don't even know what they're called. They're like a weave, brown weave sandal shoe. And he takes long walks in the beach with whatever hottie he's hooking up with. That's what he looks like on Twitter. I guess. And I didn't put this together. I had no idea this was the same person because he has a YouTube channel. He has a YouTube channel, and I went watching his YouTube channel. And his YouTube channel had a video, and I just got uh, referred to it, recommended to it by YouTube. Uh, did not know it was the David that I knew from Twitter. <laughs> and it was about uh, how all this uh, Disney Star Wars movies were really fan fiction and stuff. And we can talk about that later on the show. So I went and watched that. And what I saw there was a guy with what you see now, long, straight hair. <laughs> he looks like a heavy metal fan. I'm like, yeah, that dude is, he's probably into Metallica maybe. He's probably into some of the heavy metal I like. I had no idea that the Twitter picture was a lie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a beautiful Twitter picture. Yeah, I think that was the last time I was looking for work. <laughs> had short hair, you know, like so. I was cutting, you know, if I if I'm looking for work, I don't mind cutting hair. Or I think actually, you know, I used to donate it every couple of years. It's like locks of love. Oh yeah, that's nice. Cut it off and then grows back. Uh, really, it's too long. It's longer than I actually like it right now. Right now, it's like full 80s length and uh, that's fine you know i used to wear it that long not in the 80s but you know uh but it's okay it, cut it off um i think i think that's an old picture i should probably get like new headshots or something done same but, guy uh, it's yeah. I, I don't know i don't know dw it's the same guy look at him and the funny thing is you know um the only way this i think this photo is from like five years ago i think about five years ago and uh, if, if people are like, oh, well, you know, you need to update your photo every like three years or something. I'm like, I can show you pictures of me from when I was 19 and I look exactly the same. <laughs> so when I when I was 18 and I was going to college, I remember auditioning for like the wind ensemble because I was a music major. And the, you know, the professor I was auditioning for, I was playing, uh, what's I playing? I think it was playing, was I playing clarinet that semester or two? I don't remember. And he's like, so what made you want to come back to school? And I'm like, it was August. You know, and he's like, he's like, okay. He's like, are you married? I'm like, no. <laughs> what have you been doing? I'm like, I'm like, oh, you, you know, my last job was uh, I worked at this chicken kill plant. It was just true. I started working there when I was 17. You know, um, and uh, I like just turned 18. He's like, okay. And, and I'm like, how old do you think I am? He's like, I thought you're like 30. I'm like, dude, I'm 18. <laughs> <laughs> And it didn't look, I mean, probably not like I looked like a haggard 30. It just, I had full beard and was a pretty robust dude at 18. Uh, killing chickens will do that for you. <laughs> I was actually a carpenter, so I didn't, uh, I didn't have to manage any of the chicken guts. But actually, uh, the best paying job on the line is the guy who would put the chicken into the kill machine. So you actually don't, a person doesn't kill the machine or doesn't kill the chicken, at least in like the bigger you know, the bigger plants around here. So you take the chicken and you 
turn it upside down and you do this for turkeys too. So if you're, if you're doing it with turkeys, you got to have skill because a turkey will kick the crap out of you. Oh, wow. uh, and turn the turn it upside down and you put it in a little leg shackles and it hangs upside down like in some kind of medieval thing and it goes up this conveyor belt and then there's um, a taser which shocks chicken and makes its head fall down because you don't realize but its head is always like kind of oh sure yeah you know like that and so then it falls down nice and straight and then um, there's a little it looks like a pizza cutter but like huge cuts their neck then they go through what we called the horror room oh <laughs> no which is where they go back and forth on this conveyor, just letting the, the blood come out of them. Because like after you kill the chicken, you, it's full of blood and people don't like white meat full of blood. So you let all the blood come out in this room and there's a guy like spraying it into a drain. It turns it into this brown sludge, which they make like dog food and stuff out of. Naturally. Crazy. Naturally. So the, best, it- the best paying job is actually the guy who clicks it in. And the guy who's like spraying the blood, that's actually like a really low tier job. You don't want that job. And you have to wear like a bunny suit with like goggles. It's, right, it's like yeah. a really horrific job. Yeah, because you don't <laughs> want to get contaminated. So it's it's a little early, but this is our Halloween special. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I finally figured out what it is. Uh, the blood? Today, David looks like a heavy metal guitarist. And the David on Twitter looks like a Christian rock singer. <laughs> Oh, that's that's very insulting. Like, is that a good or a bad thing? I just that doesn't sound like a good thing. Yeah, I don't I don't want to look like a Christian rock guy. <laughs> no, this is this, so is, this is the author photo. Yeah, this is, this is the author photo. I, I sure, think sure. this is actually from my like engagement photo shoot, which was like three months before we got married. <laughs> so uh, I think my other my other profile because like they were good quality photos, so I just used them. Um, I think my author photos from my wedding, like in the books. Probably, I think I have them in the back of the books. Yeah, like this is the other one you see, like on YouTube. It's like me in a suit. You're like, you do, oh, yeah. you never wear a suit. I'm like, I used to wear a suit every single day of the year, or not every single day, but like five days a week, I wore a suit. So for me, like wearing a suit was totally normal, and I only stopped wearing one when I stopped. Did I stop working or like having a normal job? And then it was like, why would I put on a suit to go sit at the computer and make my Keys click. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> so like, it's not you. I'm like, yeah, suit actually is me. I always was about looking good. Looking good is important. So there were a couple things we, I wanted to to ask you about um, today, and we can handle these in any order. We can even skip some of them if you're not interested. Because um, I know a lot of shows they have like topics, and then the guest <laughs> comes on, and the guest just discusses whatever topic the uh, the show is going to discuss anyway. But well, that's not how we do things, is it, Dornell? No, we we just we start and we stop eventually. And we like to we like to let guests talk about their stuff. So we could talk about your new book that's coming out um, or just came out. Um, we can talk about your uh, the fan fiction uh, that your video on fan fiction uh, from uh, just a couple months ago, and um, and the other one I want to ask you about is if you got any close to 
the recent brouhaha between a couple of libertarian hard SF fans and most of the pulp rev on Twitter. I think I've seen it, but I, I didn't participate because I actually don't care that much about, <laughs> about genre definitions. I only care in terms of marketing. Like, uh, I care about what you want to put this in because I want to find the people who like this so that they'll buy it and enjoy it. Right. I don't care that much about, you know, Oh, is, is, uh, is fantasy like a subgenre of science fiction? And I, I talk about this stuff from time to time, like on the channel with like the writing, you know, the right craft stuff, as far as marketing and things goes, uh, as far as history, I'm like, it's just, it's, I guess, a you know, it's a good thing to think about, but it doesn't matter that much. Um, I guess I could talk it. I mean, I could talk a little bit about some, some important trends that have happened in science fiction that I think are really important if you want. Um, and how I think it's gone down the, a bad path. If you know, John De La Rose talks about this a lot too. And so he's very, he, he pretty much shares my opinion, I think on a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of star Wars fans would actually agree with me too. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to wax poetic on that for a minute or? Well, I usually, usually Daddy Warpig does the waxing. So you wax off and then it'll, it'll, it'll be a nice change of pace uh, for, for the audience. Oh, okay. So yeah, <clears throat> there's this idea that, uh, so this is a, a trend that has emerged over the decades in what we would call science fiction literature is this idea that uh, science fiction is about science. Um, rather than it being like a speculative, um, a speculative genre at its core. And so one of the problems about making science fiction about science is that the fiction part is always about the science too. So uh, if you imagine, you know, if you go back and you even read something like Jules Verne, uh, the speculation is about future science. And of course, if you're speculating about how future technology is going to work, you don't know how it works or it would be technology now not technology in the future. So uh, even something, we can do something recent like Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park has a science base to it that's very, quote, realistic. But there's quite a big leap between us knowing how DNA works and thinking like we get DNA from the past and clone a new animal. There's a big gap between that, right? So it's it's a it starts with a science idea and then there's a story that's built around it. So <clears throat> at its core... That's kind of what science fiction has become. And then there's been kind of shuffled off whatever you want to call it, um, space opera, uh, science fiction, which uses more, quote, explicit fantasy elements like magic. The thing is, is that people who are like anti-magic in science fiction don't really like you ask them like, OK, well, give me an example of science fiction. They're like, Dune, it's like Dune is full of magic, bro. Dune is built on magic. You use magic to, to fold space. You you have a magic called the spice, which makes you prescient. It's Dune is like 80% of Dune is magic. There's very little technology in Dune, and the technology that is there is not explained. So if technology is not explained, it's completely replaceable with magic. But likewise, I would like to challenge people to think about things like um, really hard magic systems. What we call hard, I don't know. I call them hard magic systems. I know fans call them hard magic systems. So when you have uh, you have guys like um, Brandon Sanderson, who 
they their magic system is codified in such a way that it it, it just becomes a fictional science. You're really looking at science fiction. You're looking at something that's much closer to traditional science fiction, even though you you know if you're reading something like Mistborn, it's a fantasy world with like ash falling from the sky, and it's like. Uh, but the magic is codified in a way that it's closer to science. It's not this idea where you have pure fantasy where like the magic doesn't make sense or something like that. Fantasy and science fiction really are the same genre. That's why you know, traditionally bookstores would have them on the same shelf. Fantasy and science fiction are in the same section because they are the same. But in the literary circles, there there's grown this idea of like hard sci-fi. And I've written hard sci-fi or harder sci-fi, I would call it. Like Prophet of the God Seed. This is an old cover, but, you know, I saw, I saw the new Star Wars movie cover and I'm like, oh yeah, I already did that cover. <laughs> I already did that. I already made that one. Um, so like, uh, you know, it's, it's harder sci-fi, which I figured out it really isn't popular. So I like the, I like a lot of the classic sci-fi from, you know, the sixties and seventies and, and even eighties. Um, but it turns out that doesn't sell super well, but what does sell well is if you just tell great stories and there's fantastical elements, whether those are technological or they're, um, they're magical. So if you look at Star Wars, Star Wars has an explicit magic system, which is the Force, and then they're they have a, a space travel system that's based on technology. But we have no idea how the technology works because, of course, we don't know how technology works that would allow you to travel between star systems in a couple of hours, right? So it's all magic, right? When you get down to it, it's all magic. Sure, of course. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, ooh, I'm going to use this new tool. DJ Schreffler in chat with his, his manly looking mecha here. Insufficiently explained technologies indistinguishable from magic. That's that's an old one, but good one. It's it's true. When as soon as you skip a step, right? Like like you were saying, uh, in Jurassic Park. We know we know kind of how DNA works. Skip a step and we can clone ancient DNA. Great. Yeah, it's basically magic. magic. Oh, we're filling the DNA with frog DNA. I'm like, mm. no. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not going to work that Michael, way. Michael Crichton was starting with an idea and writing a good story, sure. right? Like, that's the thing that people forget. And this is the probably maybe the problem with, like, literary science fiction. And really, I guess the trad-published science fiction nowadays is that it is really focused on – it's not focused on the story anymore. Like, the elements of good story writing – are pushed to the side so you could you know and in fact uh, most i think a lot of traditionally published science fiction now isn't even really about it's like romance books it's like what if we could turn into a woman it's like okay <laughs> That's, all right yeah i don't i don't want to read the, the sjw garbage with that and uh so i if something's trad published now if if, if a sci-fi novel's been traditionally published and came out in the last 10 years I think it's just better to just avoid it. There's just like no reason read the classic sci-fi and then read indie indie stuff because they won't publish good things anymore. It's kind of how I feel. It's like oh, anytime I get like an indie work and I like read it, I'm like, well, this was really fun and cool and mm -hmm. full of cool ideas. I like it. And so why isn't this? Why doesn't any? Why doesn't Daw or anyone publish this stuff? Or um, I don't know who the Tor or Tor Tor yeah. Tor doesn't, I mean, like if it's, if it's got Tor on it now, I just like, I don't want to read it. 
Why so would what, I? So what's your theory? That? What What do you think the answer is? Well, why don't they Why don't they publish good stuff anymore? Um. <clears throat> so there's a let me let me first let me first kill a bugbear. Which there's this idea, and I constantly encounter it with my YouTube comments, which are very active, is that corporations uh, are obsessed with money and they do everything for money and the money is the most important part. And so of course they're doing everything for money. It's like, no, they actually, that's not the case because you could, you judge things by their outcomes. If they were all about money, then they'd be making money, <laughs> not losing it. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. that, it's pretty simple. Same thing with like Marvel or DC, right? Uh, oh, you know, they they do this stuff for money. It's like, no, they don't. Or they would make money. They're selling. They're selling five percent of what they sold in the '80s. They're not doing this for the money, clearly, and they're flushing money down the toilet. They were bankrupt when Disney bought them, anyway. So, um, I think what happens is that it's it has to do with a. It's like a ring of power. When you concentrate power into a small amount of hands, and you have, a, say, a reduction in the responsibility that comes with that. So, fifty years ago when the book selling business was probably more cutthroat in a lot of ways, you couldn't, um, you couldn't concentrate that power in the hands of the editorial committees at these little publishing houses. Cause they go out of business too fast. Um, I mean, you could, you could do it, but if you were to, if you were publishing things that went against the market, you got a business too fast. So what happens is people who are failed authors end up becoming editors and become part of the publishing business. And of course they use their political ideology to select the books as a filtering mechanism before they ever get published. There's far more books, far more people who want to be published than there is room to publish them. Uh, and so, you know, if, if the story is written by say a white male, that's going to, it's going to take it down. A little bit. Hmm. They're, they're like, we're interested in in having diverse authors. So right away, you're applying a filtering mechanism that's going to reduce your profitability. And it's not that people who aren't white can't write. It's that you're you're eliminating an, a layer of merit that you would use to judge a good product, and hopefully you make money on it. Uh, and you can see that once like Amazon comes out, you can see the difference because all of a sudden there's this explosion of independent publishers. Why did why are why are these publishers exploding? It's because the market wasn't being served. There's so many people who just stopped reading new science fiction books 10 or 20 years ago because they were crap and started reading them again on Amazon, like buying the new books because, oh my God, there's authors actually publishing cool stuff. Mm. You have an industry that blacklists Orson Scott Card. The guy who wrote Ender's Game, like this guy should be huge. You know, he should be, you should be pushing his books nonstop because they're great. Uh, and he's a good, he's a really good author, but because I think, because he, he, I think he's Mormon. And yeah. so he said he articulated Mormon theology at one point, which shouldn't be that controversial. He no longer can work in, in the science fiction realm. Oh yeah. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who are like, yeah, I, I liked Ender's game, but I, I can't support him anymore because he, he said such and such about, you know, short version, you know, he hates, he hates LGBT people. Well, I don't, you know, and that's a, of course you, you get this extrapolation where that's, that's what they use to sell it. So anyway, my point is it's the same thing with anything. The corporation is, uh, it's an state created artificially created thing. A corporation is not a person. You can't put your hand on a corporation and touch it. It doesn't exist. It's a fictional entity 
that's created and enforced by uh, the state, you have this and it can own intellectual property, it can own publishing rights, even though it's not a person and really only people can own property. People can own the corporation, but that somehow translates into a layer where they, where the corporation acting independently of people who own stock in it can do whatever it wants. So when you have this, this ring of power, when you have this area called like editorial control, that attracts people who want to use it for their own ends. And only like some checks and balances that you have with a regular corporate environment, like a board of directors that will fire CEOs that lose money. Um, and the, for whatever reason in the publishing realm, that's, it's not like that. It's, it's too abstracted. There ends up being no consequences for flushing your business down the toilet, or it's part of a PR thing. Like we can't fire somebody for, you know, saying they want to have diverse authorship, even though that particular policy is reducing our profitability, you know, we can't, and it's nothing new. Um, if you guys remember like the, the novels of Gore, um, the uh, counter, what is counter earth? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I, think, I know. Of them, yeah. yeah. Okay. So these were unpublished for years uh, because uh, I think they were published or they tore, they were tore doll. Whoever was in charge was a feminist and didn't like the whole pleasure slave stories. Right. Which man of war wrote, man of war wrote songs about these gore novels. That's yeah. how <laughs> uh, it's, it, there's a song on um, Kings of metal called pleasure slave. That's about, uh, I think Terrence Menegor. Anyway, you guys could talk about man of war. So they, uh, she purposefully refused to publish them and refused to release the publishing rights and would do a whole bunch of things so that the rights couldn't revert to the author so he could go sell them somewhere else. And uh, apparently not only did the book sell well, but they have one of the best sell through rates in the business, which means you buy book number one, who's buying book number two. So people who buy book one, two, three, four, five, <coughs> if you Most have like a, you know, you always have a step down with each sequel. Well, there were there theirs was like 90%. Like people who were buying book one, 90% of them were reading all the books, and there was like 20 of them. Oh. So you have a you have a sell-through rate that's incredibly high, which is great. That's a that's a certainty. Because whenever you put out a book, there's uncertainty. Am I gonna sell the copies? Well, if you have a 90% sell-through rate, that means you're you could be pretty certain that you can print a lot of books and sell them or print as many as the previous one and sell them. Um so they should just refuse to publish them until finally, because of the way contracts work after so many years of not being published, the rights revert back to the author. He couldn't find anyone to publish him, even though these were super popular books. Uh, there was whole, there's a whole like subculture dedicated to whatever the, the sex dynamics in it are. The author whose name just fell out of my mind right now. Um, you guys will probably remember the, the author. Um, it's actually a pen name a boring name at that but anyway he wrote books on like how this kind of dom dominant submissive relationship between men and women could like enhance your marriage and stuff like that so there's a whole subculture dedicated to it and you couldn't get the books you had to try to find them at a used bookstore this is before the internet and so now that he can sell them on it on the kindle platform and print on demand he makes a lot of money on them again because people wanted them people wanted that lurid sexy counter-earth slaves and knights you know it's basically he-man with a bunch of sex that's what yeah. it was. 
Oh, we talked to, uh, has anybody talked to, uh, what's his name? Oh, we had a guest on like last year who's, who's developing role-playing game supplements for, uh, uh, setting, uh, you know, role-playing game set in gore. I thought that was oh, really, that yeah. would be fun. Yeah. Oh, so you got a roll, roll, roll 20 critical orgasm. Yeah. What's that? Uh, Desboro? Grim Jim. Yes. Grim Jim. Grim Jim. That, that was the one. Yeah, look him up. I think Grimasaur is his Twitter handle. You can you can check him out. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy the the way the corporations took over. And I think you're right. I think we've seen that in a lot of. I mean, Disney's the biggest best example. Yeah, Disney of, collects all of them. So you don't need to create a a socialist state to control the art. You create a thing called a corporation, which concentrates the ownership and power into a a very small number of hands. And all you have to do is be one of those people that gets in there to control the art. And then because of the magic of corporate IP ownership, nobody else can make, can make star Wars movies except for you. So star Wars is whatever you say they are. And I still have fans that come out with this. They're like, well, they own the copyrights and therefore those are official star Wars stories. And like, there's no one creatively involved with them. It's not star Wars guys. It can't be. It's like saying that you wrote a, a sequel to one of my books and it's a, an official sequel because of corporate IP ownership. It's like, no, authorship matters. That's a really right. good point. That's a really good point. Uh, Daddy Warwick said you did a whole video on that subject. Yeah, yeah I missed of, it. I uh, must have missed that. Yeah. I can I can also, I, I tend to like break the fourth wall and give YouTube advice every once in a while. YouTube, it's like rolling the dice every time. There's a huge random element as far as what's going to like explode and go viral and what's going to be recommended to people. Sure. So that was one that that uh, that definitely had a lot of traction. My Star Wars reviews, I kind of knew that they had the potential. And so I did them uh, because I'm like the original guy who hated new Star Wars. One of them. There's a couple of, there's me and a couple other people that continued to. You were into it before it was cool. I understand. Way before it was cool. And so. This is a, a you know, this kind of a conflict with some of my subscribers that are like, well, I really like Force Awakens. I'm like, it was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, normally, I mean, normally I don't cut people out of my life for for political beliefs or opinions or tastes or anything like that. But Force Awakens, that's that's a deal breaker, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, um, no, I, I, I had people threaten to uh, walk away for mean things I said about Isaac Asimov and, and uh, uh, John W. Campbell. I literally had friends of mine say that they would have to stop speaking to me if I didn't lay off Campbell Over an and author. Asimov. Yeah, people have, psychic, people have psychic attachments to things. This is the big thing I've learned on YouTube. And so when you say something negative, you know, negativity gets their attention, but also, it, it, you know, some people who are Star Wars fans, they have a their their identity is bound up in liking Star Wars, and so if you say that Star Wars sucks, it's like saying that you, they suck. It's like you you suck, and what you like sucks. You know. Um, whereas if somebody says that they don't like, I don't know, a band. If someone says I I hate Dragon Force. I'm like, you're dumb for hating Dragon Force, but I don't hate you for it. Dragon Force is not for everyone. You, your IQ is not high enough to understand it. It's okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't hate you for hating Twilight Force and Dragon Force. It's it's you know, it's okay. Some people are uh, they needed special ed in school. It's fine. 
Yeah, it, it definitely about the special ed, but I you make a good point. You say they got a psychic attachment. It's it's some sort of it's it's the same sort of cognitive dissonance that you find out when you talk about important things. Yeah, right. And like so they, like, I could see that with Isaac Asimov too. Like some people, they just it's like a little shrine around. Yeah, so I've I've been given to understand that he's an amazing science fiction author. How could anybody know that can't be right? Yeah, you must you must be mistaken. I found this you, out you, with. When I criticized, I, I did a couple of videos that were critical of the Starship Troopers book, and like, because uh, it's not a it's not a very good story, right? And I'm like, the ideas in it, also, I'm not super crazy about either. Um, so people got really upset. I've had people like write me hate mail over that. I'm like, uh, it's like if I could take back my super chats, I would. Like years after I recorded it, I'm like, you got a problem if if this is bugging you that much. There isn't actually a story in Starship Troopers. Yeah. There, that's... there isn't a story. Now, <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love Starship Troopers. I was lucky enough when I my dad was deployed in Germany for eight years. So I grew up in Germany. Young kid. Young, young kid. Walked in the school library, and they had a copy of the first edition of Starship Troopers that they were selling for like 35 cents. Yeah. And I was like, I remember the art on that. I think I have one somewhere. Yeah, it's it's, it's like old. Guy parachuting down, you know. Yeah, and it yeah. was all gray and stuff. So I bought it and I loved the book. I've been reading it since I was a young kid. But you know, and I still enjoy reading the book. the The problem is Heinlein is just a really enjoyable author. He knows how to put words and sentences together, so they just they're pleasurable to read. But Man, when you look at that book as a book, what the potential was, what it could have been versus what it is, it could have been just a spectacular adventure story. But it You know, I, I think about this, actually, because I think if it had been written with a better narrative, <clears throat> it may not have been as popular because you're taking the emphasis away from the ideas. It's it, To me, like the ideas are what ended up reverberating. Now, there, there's two of them. The, the first one is like this idea of power armor, the idea of how the starship troopers work, which has had huge influence in sci-fi and uh, influenced me. Um, the other one is these, you have these passages where he's like talking to the teacher about the society. And those are the, those are the ideas that I tend to push back a lot more on. And those are the ones that really take root in some people's psyche. They're like, you know, we should be run entirely by military veterans and this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, you gotta you gotta take a step back and think about what that means because it's uh you it looks roman on the surface but when you dig a little deeper into his into his uh into his ideas there i think they're a little bit more disturbing for a lot of people um and so when i compared him to the movie i'm like the movie is real you know the the one by um uh, verhoven verhoven it's really a, a a movie that's made to be against the book it's a satire of the book and if when you understand it on that level, it's a lot funnier as a movie. I think uh, it's him. It's him because Paul Verhoeven was in a concentration camp. A lot of people don't know this. Hmm. Um, so not just in fact, most of the people that were in concentration camps weren't Jews, if I remember correctly. My my wife's grandfather was in a concentration camp in the Netherlands. Um, so he was in a forced labor camp. So all of the ideas in the book, he's like, I couldn't even get through the book. It was unreadable. I had to have a friend explain it to me, and I'm like, I hate this. 
so but he was going to make a movie about it so he proceeded to make a movie about how he hated the ideas in starship troopers it's very funny when you understand it on this like uh. level. but there's people who are fans of the movie and then they've they've never really gotten into the book or they don't really know like what's in the book and there's fans of the book who it's almost a religious document for them i'm like you shouldn't shouldn't treat it on that level i love that uh, i love heinland's work as far as his work is about ideas like he starts with an idea and he carries it through i think my favorite books are him are probably gonna be like stranger in a strange land or the moon is a harsh mistress even though again i don't agree with really either of the ideas or how they play out i love that he that he has the ideas and follows through with them and explores them in such an interesting way he's very good at it or was so, very good at it so we talk a lot to, to a lot of the pulp rev guys who are really about that old action adventure type of science fiction do you do you think there's still a place for the the big idea science fiction uh that you like so much in Heinlein or I think there's a place for it but um I think what has to happen first because the market has been kind of uh the market's been uprooted and and twisted I think so I think the big idea stuff there's always been room for it but the question is what leads the way and what leads the way are, are good stories. And so that's, you know, the most popular franchise in the world is a, is a science fiction franchise. It's, it's star Wars. Um, or people go back, it's space fantasy. I'm like, who cares, dude? Sure. <laughs> right. So the, what has to lead the way are those stories that people love rather than, uh, you know, the big ideas. If you start with a big idea and you don't have a story attached to it, I think, I think you're missing out. I think, I think you got to go story first and hopefully the ideas are already in there. Okay. Um, I think I guess we'll leave that there. What about your stories? Because, because I understand you're a writer and you've showed off a couple of your books, but uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not really a reader. So I'd like to know more about your style which, which I'm starting to glean here. Like what, what are you writing? What have you come out with recently? Okay. So latest book, which probably, Oh, this just came out. I'm like, and I, to me, it didn't just come out because I'm, I'm going to come out with another book in like four weeks, mm -hmm. but like that I work really, I tend to, if I'm actually doing this stuff, I tend to come out with stuff pretty quickly. Um, but this is the new one. It's called voices of the void. If you notice, it's very small. I wrote a couple books this year as an experiment. Um, because these are two-hour books. So I wrote them specifically to be read in the time it takes to watch a movie. Hmm. Uh, and I have an idea here. How and many, I've, I've even experimented with that. Uh, so they're about 20, a little bit over 20,000 words. I think this one is 22,000 and this one's 24,000. Um, but people read this one quicker because there's a higher tension level than Chronosite. Chronosite's high fantasy. Um, and I developed a style for this that was hyper efficient. I would say there's more story in Crown of Sight than a typical 500 page uh, fantasy novel because you just learn how to cut out the fluff and the garbage and just get it down to just the prime story. And I set it up as a bunch of scenes. Um, so it, it's basically the same number of scenes that I would write in a movie script, which I, I actually started writing movie scripts years and years ago, but I, I, that business is impossible i mean it's not impossible to get into it's just you're never going to make any money in it as a writer um you know it's it's like a 0.01 percent of people have made any money as a writer 
uh, movie business. So just as an example, you know, if you have a hundred million dollar movie and you have a top tier writer working on it, he gets paid 35,000 to $100,000 to create the story for a hundred million dollar movie. Now, $35,000 is not to turn your nose up at, but if that's the only work you do that year, you're not living in LA. You're living in like a pod. You know, you're living in one of those pod things in LA. Oh, yeah. And, and it's no wonder that all the writing in Hollywood is so bad because nobody worth a damn can it, can be bothered to work there. There's, there's more to it too, which is that um, executives are so afraid of any story being original that they uh, they'll hire these bigger name writers to rewrite the story like 10 times until you end up with like this garbage that comes out on screen that's completely boring because there's too many hands that touched it. Hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of examples. I think Snow White and the Huntsman is the one I always bring up because it went through like 33 revision phases. Uh, I talked to a producer. He's like, yeah, this went through 33. I did it. This other guy did it. I had to negotiate. He was like negotiating who was going to get the credits because when the, um, the writing credit shows up on the, on the, you know, on the credit roll, there may have been 20 people who worked on it, but you have to negotiate who's going to actually get the writing credit. Like what percentage of the script is it's the writing credit. So when you see like five writers, like, you know, the new star Wars movie had like five writers. There were probably like 20 other dudes in a writing room getting paid like 25 grand a year to rewrite that script a hundred million times, hoping it'll be good. And it still was garbage. Still That's garbage. what's crazy. Right. And so you, even with like last Jedi, who knows how many people you had rewriting dialogue to try to get, try to get that to come out. Joss Whedon made his original way in Hollywood rewriting dialogue as a script doctor. He worked on Waterworld. He rewrote all the dialogue for Waterworld, um, which if you think Waterworld has good dialogue, I like Waterworld, but you know, the, I missed, I missed that one. I remember it happening and I said, <laughs> you know what? going to skip that one. I like, I like it. You know? I like it. <laughs> the thing is Waterworld for what it is. It's fun. It is. I, it, and it's your story. Here's the thing. Um, I always likened Waterworld to a legend that was told like five or six generations after whatever events had really happened. Like we would tell the story of Robin Hood today. That's what Waterworld is. It isn't literally what happened. It's a legend about what happened, you know, decades or centuries later. And on that level, yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I do like Waterworld. But anyway, so you have script writers that do this. Event. Get back to what I'm talking about with my book. So I've done some experiments last couple of years. Um, originally, I did this with my Needle Ash books, uh, which now I would prefer people buy the single volume. There's a one volume version. But originally, I split the story up into three books. Um, each book is about 30 to 40,000 words. Um, and so they're a little thicker, you know. <clears throat> but you can buy the book and sit down and in about three hours, you've read an epic fantasy book and then you can read the next one. So you end up with like a little trilogy, just like a movie trilogy. So the whole idea was to get the reading experience kind of um, slimmed down to a chunk that would attract anyone to be able to, to read the book and to read it in one night and enjoy it, you know, review it pass it on, um, any of that kind of stuff. So the new one, Voices of the Void, is a two-hour sci-fi horror experience. And I did a completely opposite of Crown of Sight. So Crown of Sight is a bunch of super efficient scenes. Uh, and this one is one scene. 
There are no scene breaks in this book whatsoever. It goes, com it's completely through composed beginning to end, which I don't know of anyone who actually does that, but I was like, it's a 24,000 word book. You know, it's a 90 page book. Let's roll the dice. Let's see, if, see if people like it. I had no idea that people would end up liking this. I thought I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And that's the, that's what motivates like 90% of what I do is like, I do whatever I want to do all the time. Mm. I'm like a toddler, but, uh, so I, I was going to do it anyway. And it turns out people really, really liked it. They liked the story. They liked the atmosphere. They liked the world, uh, in it. Uh, I pushed most of the world building to the side and the world building is just completely indirectly done. Um, so you just focus on the action and then they liked the fact that they could read it in two hours and be done. That's I, I like thing. that. I, I mean, I like the, the length that you did. Oh, and by the way, John Mollison in chat, he's really excited. Uh, he's really excited to hear from you today. He already wants to know when voices two is coming out. Oh, um, I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll probably write. So the next book I'm writing, which I'm hoping to come out with is again, it's going to be another two hour experience. And this is what I'm doing with my write stream on Wednesdays, I'm running a little course on how to write one of these short books that I've, I've really, I don't want to say I, I haven't perfected the format, but you know, with, five of them under my belt, I've got it kind of figured out how to get, how to get these experiences really efficient so that, um, it's, it's a really, it's a, just a new kind of it's a new format. It's a new approach to, to books that I wanted to experiment with. So I'm going to teach people how to do that. It's very manageable to write a 20,000 to 30,000 word book in a couple of weeks, revise it, you know, how to, how to actually look at your book, like an editor would look at it and then, um, publish it, put it out on Amazon and create a, uh, paperback. So if anyone can do this, they can hop on. You just have to have enough time to write a thousand words a day and you'll be able to come out with this book. So after I come out with this book I'm doing for this one, I'll maybe I'll do a sequel to this because it's been, it's been selling really well. It's got a lot of good reception on it. I'll probably do a little revision of this one because there's a couple things I want to fix. I just put it out to see if people liked it. Um, there's probably like a, a bunch of little editing things I'll do before I really start like piping this hard like i haven't ad i haven't advertised for it at all i just kind of wanted to see if anybody liked it um so i'll probably do that next one is going to be i didn't realize other authors were actually coming out with these books but it's it's a space paladin so oh, wow the exorcist meets, <laughs> perfect timing yeah it's the exorcist meets like warhammer 40k or like i, I would say it's like van helsing or the the exorcist meets um, I don't know, Star Wars, something it's, like that. That's, that's perfect. The perfect timing. John DeLaRose, Bradford Walker. Uh, I'm, I had I'm no blank, idea John was coming out with it. I talked to him about it. He's like, yeah, I'm coming out. I'm like, this is this is what I was, I'm like, you beat me to the punch. But Oh, his, okay, his blew up too. I think I think we've got a real new genre coming out. It's, and, it's going to be glorious. And, and they're Here's calling it cool. Crucifixion. Yeah. Oh, get out, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. What a great name. Yeah. So um, here's what's cool about this writing course that I'm doing is because it's write and publish in six weeks. This is great. This is a, something that independent artists can do that uh, the big name publishers can't. So if somebody is getting trad published, they'd be like, my book is coming out next June. I'm like, how can you stand to wait that long for your art to exist? It, yeah, It's maddening to me now that I live in the internet age. I'm like, all right, I came out with a song. It's out now. It's out. You can listen to it. I, I wrote it yesterday. Now it's out. You know, um, so the the six week book. If you say, oh, there's a there's an emerging trend. There's something I want to chase. In six weeks, you can have a product that comes out and fits in that genre, fits in that niche, whatever it's going to be. So um, 
before I do a Voices of the Void follow-up, because this also has no genre on, on Amazon. I found this out writing, and there's no such thing as sci-fi sci horror, like as a genre. I call this Lovecraft meets Aliens. Yeah. Turns out Lovecraft is, you know, Lovecraft's just put in horror. I'm like, Lovecraft is science fiction horror. Sure. You know, putting your brain in a cylinders from creepy bug aliens is not, I mean, it's horrific, but it's science fiction, guys. Right. Um, so that's what this is. It doesn't fit neatly in any genre. People really like it. And that's why they like it is it has these elements that they're, that they already like put in a way that's just, you know, one, one tick away from what they're used to. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. That's an untapped market considering how popular alien is as a film. And, and for, for modern gamers, dead space, there's a whole series of games. That's space horror. That's it. That is a fertile plane. My yeah, friend. Somebody mentions Event Horizon. Event Horizon is great. Now, sci-fi horror is a movie genre that people love. Yeah. But as far as publishers go, they've never done it. They haven't done it in since Lovecraft, really. They've never like emphasized the horror elements of it. Um, and so they're they're going to be clueless about it. And therefore, Amazon wouldn't really know what to do with these kind of books. You know? Yeah. And they don't. They don't. Um, Brian Niemeyer has written his Soul Cycle which was also space horror space pirates go to hell. I think is the, is the summary. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't blow up. Uh, it's, it's a good series, but it didn't blow up. They had a competition on Twitter to come up with the name for the new genre. And everybody was coming up with all kinds of different names. And finally razor fist came up with crucifixion. <laughs> it's and it's a great name. It's one of those names you're like, oh, why did it? Why do we wait for so long for this guy to come up with the perfect name? Uh, Razor yeah, Fist is good. Yeah, that's a it's it's perfect. Crucifixion. <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, this new one's going to be explicitly Christian. So what I imagine for it is, um, it's it's just a Christian church. It's the Christian church in the future. Um. And uh, this guy's job, he works for the church. So he's a, I don't know what you call it. He's a cleric. His job is to kill demons. Yes. And so he's traveling through different dimensions and different star systems to root out the demonic menace and, and kill them. And so uh, I have a really interesting little uh, plot structure I came up with for this. I'm going to do a five act. I decided I was going to do three acts because three acts is you could really get it condensed. I'm like, no, I'm going to do a really condensed five act because I, I did a video recently on, on the very first Spider-Man story in amazing fantasy 15 is a five act Shakespearean tragedy told in 13 pages. You guys want to talk about efficient story writing. Stanley knew how to write stories very efficiently. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a little five act thing in 20,000 words. So the first act is just an exposition of him killing demons and stuff. Pretty cool. Uh, with you know this power armor on, so the little starship naturally in there, which is great. And then, uh, then the next four acts are going to explore a newer conflict with the story in a different world. Be tempted by sin. He'll have to call upon his faith. It's going to be good. Uh, uh, that sounds uh, really good. Uh, I think I think Delarose has sort of proven that. That's another big untapped market. There's a lot of people who really want to read that stuff. And frankly, just in power armor fighting demons. I mean, it, what if doom guy were Catholic? I'm in let's that. I would, I would play that game. I would, I would read yeah. that book. Yeah. Uh, 
I think John broke he broke into the number uh, 68 book on Amazon uh, for Justified. Oh, wow. I, I last I saw it was like in the top thousand, which you guys don't realize that getting in the top thousand is it's very difficult. Um, well, he's he's real time now. He he's probably not going to have time for us anymore. <laughs> yeah, getting the top th top one thousand even temporarily is very 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 difficult because there's a huge amount of competition, and there's these exploding trends that you don't even think about that dominate that that top thousand. And then there's like it's a it's the Pareto principle like fractally. So it's like ninety percent of the book sales go to like the top point oh one percent of of uh, of writers. That's kind of how it is. It's just, it's really hard to break into that top 1,000. Um, it's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're close to out of time. So I I just want to really quick, before we wrap up here, I did want to plug your, your web pages because I plan on spending some more time on them in the near future. You've got uh, a site dedicated to your writing, DVS Press. Mm -hmm. I'll have more materials going up on that for the current Write Stream project, which is, uh, you know, write and publish in six weeks. And and you yeah that's what you're talking about uh, YouTube classes, on you're doing that on YouTube right? Um yeah, okay. yeah yeah so it's on YouTube every Wednesday six p.m. Oh that's cool. Uh, six p.m. Pacific, it's our time. Right, our time, real time, <laughs> west west coast time. Yeah, the only time uh, that matters. Yeah, f New York. <laughs> the land of the we're in the land of the setting sun. <laughs> yeah, we have beautiful sunsets. What you got? Uh, it's, uh, and you've also got your other personal website, which does your other projects. I, I wish we had time to talk more about you know your YouTube channels and your music and, and everything like that, because you're also a musician and you do guitar lessons online as well and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't do lessons anymore because um, I just don't want to do them. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I understand. Not, well, you're writing a thousand words a day now with uh, guitar right. lessons, schmitar lessons. Yeah, here's the latest album. Um, it's called Memories Adrift. This is an instrumental ambient rock album that I just recorded kind of on my own. So uh, there's a couple of guest performers on here that are my friends mostly that wanted to collaborate with me. And I don't know when the next one will come out whenever I... You know, I need to come out with a couple more books, and then I'll I can focus on music again, do another album. Well, that's interesting. Um, on, on on a personal note, you said the uh, instrumental uh, ambient rock, so that'd be something good to play while you're working at an office or something like that. I think so. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in this though. I call it ambient rock because it uses a couple of conventions from ambient rock, which mm -hmm. I don't I need to go too deep into them, but uh, you'll you'll hear it. But there's there's quite a bit of variety. This is. Uh, a very very eclectic eclectic album um i play all the instruments except for on a couple tracks that i have like i said i've guessed so you know there's loot on this iwi you're like what's this weird instrument that i keep hearing you know it's this thing it's my electronic wind instrument that's uh, weird looking yeah you play it like a saxophone or clarinet mm -hmm. but it's a synthesizer <laughs> cool. So it's uh, it's really wild. It's a very cool instrument. I love playing it. Um, and so that's all over the album. Of course, lots of guitar, drums, standard stuff. So I'll do another one at some point here. I need to I need to get back and do do music, but I'm too focused on the books 
No, that, that, that's great. Uh, I'm I'm glad you're able to come on the show. It was really great meeting you. I'm happy. I yeah, wish sure. uh, I wish I wish Daddy Warpick had introduced uh, us sooner uh, through Twitter because I, I'm definitely going to go check out some of your stuff online yeah. later this week. If you join my mailing list, you'll get the ebook for this for free. The, I think the pre-release version. Oh, great! Uh, still up for free for right now. So dbspress.com slash list will get you on the mailing list and will. Um, get you this ebook for free. It's a 99 cent ebook. Paperbacks like four bucks. People like paperbacks is another thing. People love to have that physical copy. So I do all my books, even if they're short, like these two, I do them on paperback so that people can, can have a little paperback. And when you're done, you can give it to a friend. I love that. You know, so, Hey, here's a book I read. You might like it. Check it out. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, once again, really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun talking to you day, today. And, you were also uh, going to show his other site. What? Am I going to show his other site? No, you were also going to show his other Oh, would you like to see it? For those those of you hanging out in YouTube, oh, let me show this real quick. This uh, StreamYard's amazing, by the way. I just want to say. Here's here's your site with, like you said, you don't. Or you mentioned earlier you don't do your podcast anymore, but... Yeah, but it's, it's all still up. Writers of the Dawn is still up on YouTube. Um, all of those all those old podcast shows, there's like a 60 of them, I think. They're still up. Um, I need to probably clean up my websites a little bit. They just, people don't use them as much as they used to. It's all social media. Mm -hmm. So I tend to I tend to be a little bit behind on my, my websites. DVS Press is the main one where I, I'll, I will be posting the new book on that uh, as I draft it. I already have been drafting it, but I'm going to set it up. So every day I'm going to have a thousand words of it, at least or probably 2000 words of it up for people to read, to see what the drafting process is. That'll come down when the book comes out, because I'll, of course I'll revise the book. So I don't need to have an older version of it, like kicking around on the internet. Uh, but people can read that for free and see what a first draft run through looks like. My first drafts tend to be pretty, pretty, pretty clean or pretty on the nose as far as what's there, because I do a lot of, planning beforehand okay cool yeah appreciate it uh, you're you're definitely right about social media uh daddy warpig do you have any last rants and raves uh, before we head out i thought that was my line well i'm done <laughs> i feel like i've talked a lot i'm sorry if i dominate the conversation i tend to be pretty aggressive I, I guess i guess you haven't listened to the show before this is just the way we like it Okay, because <laughs> because if it's a if it's upon just us to be interesting, it. Eh. But when we have guests on, we like to be like to we like the show to be about the guests. Okay, it's just. I'm aware, like I do this in real life too. By the way, it's like if there's silence, I'm like, well, I'm just going to dominate this conversation. Here we go. <laughs> hey, <laughs> and you know what? Some people like to be dominated. <laughs> oh, and that takes us back to Gore. See, it's just yeah, a circle. circle. Oh, let's find that Manowar song and we can all bang our heads as we. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I do want to thank everybody who uh, came and listened to the show live and participated in the sh in the chat. I also want to thank uh, everyone who's going to listen to the show later. By the way, folks, you can find us uh, on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also find us on the Google Play Store, on the iTunes Store, and on soundcloud.com. Just do a search for geekgab, and we are there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. 
Uh, we are here just about every week at just about the same time. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.